Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. Damaris Hollinsworth knows what it's like to enter a building or a new space and wonder if you belong. That's why inclusion and creating welcoming spaces are a major focus of her approach to design as an architect here in Minnesota. Damaris was a first-generation college student growing up in Brazil. Later, after immigrating to the United States, she became one of few women and even fewer black women to become a licensed architect in this country. Women overall still represent only 25% of licensed architects in the U.S., and only about 2% of architects are black. Today, Damaris is the founder and principal architect of the Minneapolis design firm Design by Mellow. In the last few years, she has received some major recognition for her work in architecture and her efforts to support diversity in the field. In 2020, she received the Young Architects Award from the National American Institute of Architects. She was recognized as an emerging leader by Twin Cities Business Magazine. And last year, she was named Architect of the Year by the Minnesota Real Estate Journal. I spoke with Damaris back in June about her journey to becoming an architect here in Minnesota and about the inclusive perspective she brings to design as a woman and as an immigrant. I also took phone calls from listeners about their favorite buildings in Minnesota and what inspires them about Damaris' story of becoming an architect. I started by asking her what her childhood self would think of all of her accomplishments as an adult. Uh, I think my seven-year-old version would look at me today and say, wow, she did it. And then she went up and did some more. Uh, (laughs) Because if you know my story, uh, I saw an architect at seven. And I wanted to be her, and but I never thought I would come this far. It was not even my wildest dreams I would come this far. Of so, t- tell me that story. You, you saw, you met, uh, so yes. an architect. What's the story? So, my father, very much by the book guy. Not that we have money or anything like that to hire architects, but he would never do a home uh, without having all the paperwork, all the legal things. So he, we saved. I, since I can, I can remember Christmas like from three. It's always like, oh, we cannot Christmas gifts. No, no, we are saving money to buy land. Then, they, then we are saving money to buy materials. And then he hired an architect. This because, is in Brazil. This is in Brazil, all at? the way in Brazil, mm-hmm. São Paulo, inner city. And I remember when he brought this woman to the house. I was seven, and she was this very young, uh, but she was like wearing pencil skirt, high heels, and she was very pretty. Uh, and <laughs> pencil <design>. skirt, high <laughs> heels hmm, reminds me of someone I know. Yeah, right. And then, and the thing was more the dynamic. I think it was more. My mom stayed home. She worked from home. My dad went out and worked outside. My whole community was like that. I'm from this very traditional Christian community. So the women stay home with the kids. The guys go out. And it's very much that. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Man is a leader. And that woman came in, even though she was young and very, very young. Like I would say in 20, early 20s, mm-hmm. mid 20s. Mm-hmm. She was talking to my parents. And I remember being kind of, mm, what this different, right? Because usually my dad is kind of the leader on the right. conversation in that conversation was clear that she was a leader and I was curious watching from afar because I couldn't go in that was the, th- the time that right. kids cannot come in in, this, in the room so they're the room. talking about a business mm-hmm. they're talking about the house that my dad wanted her to design mm-hmm. for us to build and when she left I asked my mom who, who is this person who is this woman and she said oh she's the, our architect and I said oh I'm gonna be that and she said uh, what I, I didn't even know she was a doctor I'll be a doctor she was a accountant will be an accountant she was an attorney will be an attorney she was an architect and i thought that was what i wanted to be because i wanted to be her not right. necessarily an architect wow yes 
Wow. Uh, so we go from your childhood. Um, and so, you know, as you get older into your teen years, mm-hmm. you're still thinking about architecture and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. planning to go to college. Uh, I know you went to one of the top universities in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it took several years to actually get in and get through. What, mm-hmm. what was going on with the college experience? Oh, the college experience was interesting because my biggest dream was to get into this school, right? Because to be an architect in Brazil or any place, you had to go to architecture school, which is mostly full-time everywhere in the world. It's full-time school. Mm-hmm. My parents were very clear. We can't afford to send you to college. So the only college I could go to was the University of Sao Paulo because it's free. It's the top school in mm-hmm. Latin America, but it's state schools in Brazil are actually free. Free. Mm-hmm. We, pay, we pay in taxes, but we students don't pay for it. But it's very competitive because it's so high quality and really doing programs with the international schools. So it's competitive and the kids going through the system through to getting included to get in um, are from private schools. So they're the best and prepared exactly. from from admission. first grade, from <laughs> kindergarten. And I you say. were not. I was not. I was growing in this inner city school, breaking up, falling apart. And my dad kept telling me you're just going to break your heart. Like, why didn't you just go do something else? But I went in, took my first exam. I remember I was a, I was an honor student. I was, like, closing my my, my grades, like, on, grade, on second quarter or whatever. Going into it, I went, like, I can do this. I'm smart, right? I didn't even score a third of the points necessary to go to phase two. Broke mm. my heart. I came, like, so devastated. My dad said, that is what I was trying to tell you. Like, it's not mm-hmm. for us, right? Cried, went back and again another year. Though I studied, I studied my head off. Like I went from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'll be in the library studying. Went back, got close, but I still didn't pass for second phase. And remember, it's two phases. Like phase one is 100 questions, multiple choice, all subjects. Second phase is in writing, mm-hmm. only for the subjects that are more applied to your career. So se- second time around, I, I got two, three points behind, below the cutout. Cried my head out again, went back to studying again. <laughs> you keep going back. <laughs> and went back. And I told my dad, I'm going to keep going until I get in. Because then I'm mad. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. <laughs> <laughs> I went back, studied again, a whole year. And, I, and when I mean study a year, I studied. I didn't go to parties. I didn't go to anything. I, my life was studying. I shut down. Nobody saw me in no parties, no weddings, no bir- birthday parties, nothing. I was studying. So then third time around, I went in and I passed like flying colors. And so this is admission into the university? Into the university. Just to get in before you even get into the major. Exactly. Then I got in and I thought that was it. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. I'm in. It has to be the hardest thing I've ever done. It's also the biggest dream I ever had. How could it have been any bigger dream or any bigger (laughs) hardship than that? Oh, I was wrong. Because then, of course, <laughs> you got in and it's like the whole back history, right? What you're doing from, I don't know, from three to, now we know it's three, right? The year, the big year of, yeah, from three to Early college. childhood development, mm-hmm. right? It matters, actually. Right. right. So I was there and I would not, I would not match with the knowledge and the cultural experiences with the cultural awareness that people had and the mm-hmm. experience they had. So I felt from day one, I felt like, okay, now this is going to be hard. Well, you got through. I got through it. You kept going. Mm-hmm. And then you end up coming to uh, the, the U.S., US yeah. uh, Arizona State uh, University, the College of Design, uh, mm-hmm. to study uh, abroad a semester. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once again, 
you arrive and there's a disadvantage. You don't speak English. I didn't speak English. It was a process that was supposed to be a competition for students, for students from Brazil to come to Arizona State. Uh, they were covering everything. So it was a full, full ride. Uh, tuition, housing, books, uh, everything but cost of living. And I told my mom, like, this is too much of what I want. To, not to be for me so it has to be for me so my mom said well don't you have to speak english i'm like yeah but you know bring it what, what you got to work around that <laughs> so i submitted the applications my friends helped me translate uh went through i i got i got a spot i got one of the four spots to come to the u.s everything paid for and i didn't speak english and it was insane because even the times that we should have been tested they missed the deadlines in brazil so we couldn't be tested with TOEFL to be, to make sure we could follow classes. So we kept, the process kept taking me and I was like, I'm just going to go and see what happens, right? And I ended up going through all the emotions and getting, arriving in Arizona with no English whatsoever to go to school for six months. So how did you get through your coursework? It was crazy. It was funny. So I had three, first of all, it was four Brazilians. So that helped. Uh, I never registered for any classes that they would not be, one of them would not be registered as well. So you had a classmate. So I could help. tell mm-hmm. me, they could tell me what mm-hmm. do I have to do for homework at least. What, but they didn't find out very quickly that I didn't speak, right? Because I would be faking a language. I would literally be faking up, like mm-hmm. making up a language to talk to people. And they like, you don't speak English, do you? And when I said no, they said, okay, then we won't speak to you in Portuguese either because you have to learn. So they made it like their little mission to get me to speak English. So they would help me by helping me translate some stuff, mm-hmm. but they would never tell me in Portuguese what it was. So they helped me understand things. They write down in English the homework so I could do the homework. I think it was about three months before I could actually speak enough English for people to actually understand what I was right. trying to say. But also are some of your homework assignments and your lessons, it's designed. It's designed. So, you're so it drawing, was easier that So way. you understand yes. the mechanics yes. and can yes. do that. Yes. That's fascinating. But weren't you like just exhausted? And I was. Frightened? I was. I was never afraid, which I look back now and I miss that girl. I feel like she was so daring. Um, I never, I never thought of going back. I was never, I never thought, oh my gosh, that is crazy. I was exhausted. I had headaches every day for months. I remember having, because you're processing everything three, twice, right? Back right. and forth. And I remember having headaches, pounding headaches every night. But I never thought of, I should go back. There was never an option. But you're, because you're running towards something. You're running yes. to a passion. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and I want to ask you, what is it about designing buildings and creating spaces that you love? That's, that makes it your passion. The transformation. I think meeting with a client or a group of people and hearing their vision and having the ability to use your skills, your God-given talent, and turn that conversation and that vision, that ideation into something built Mm -hmm. and something that you can experience as a full-size scale thing, it's amazing to me. We want to take some phone calls uh, right now, Damaris. I'm talking with Damaris Hollinsworth. Uh, If you've not heard her name, you'll remember her name after this conversation. She's the founder and chief architect of uh, the Minneapolis design uh, firm called Design by Mello. She is joining us to talk about her journey, uh, what it's like to be a practicing architect here in Minnesota, and how this inclusive perspective she brings to design, um, how valuable it is as a woman and as an immigrant. Uh, Let's take this uh, phone call. Uh, Actually, someone calling in from uh, originally from Minneapolis, but now in Chicago. This is Ashley, who's on the phone. Good morning, Ashley. What do you want to share or ask? 
Good morning. Um, I just wanted to call and just say that Damaris is the real deal. And I think that her leadership style, I, I get the pleasure of working with her and her leadership style just, um, it changes the game and it makes architecture more welcoming because she's tuned into the details and diversifying the team. So I just think her leadership style is incredible and it truly changes the game. And Ashley, what kind of work do you do? Are you in the field as well? Yes, yes, in the interior design field. And it's been awesome to see what um, Damaris is doing. And I think it diversifies not only the industry, but she's just showing what's possible. And, and the determination to continue to level up is, is inspiring for myself as a, another woman of color entrepreneur. So um, really appreciate her work and um, just one to watch. She's one to watch for sure. And already just Stay tuned. <laughs> Thank right. you, Ashley. Hey, Ashley, that's nice. So let's uh, let's talk about this. Um, you know, you and I have had conversations of what was going on during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So you've had experience. You've worked for like a big construction, a lot of big companies, companies mm-hmm. uh, as the, like an architect, and then um, you 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 open and become the owner of your own. So what led to that? Like what mm-hmm. happened? So my my I started working even even so when I was in Arizona, I got an offer from a large firm there to work with them. To work for them, right? So they, mm-hmm. from 2006, I was already working as an architect, um, as a designer for a firm. But always large firms. I worked from large firm to large firm to then Thor to be the chief architect for the Here in Minnesota. division in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So it was always like the big firms behind me, uh, big teams, which was always exciting to me. Uh, but the, the, the journey to Thor, though, was interesting. My my big, my first employer was amazing. My they let me grow. They, I have mentors who just let me be, right? Mm-hmm. Take her rightful place. Mm. Then I got to other firms because um, then I had to transition because of my daughter. It was family needs. I had to transition to another firm. Whole different story. And I got, I kept finding myself stuck in this corporate thing. Because you're as a black a woman, woman, as a foreign woman. A mother. Exactly. I cannot hang out at 5 p.m. I cannot have happy hour with the boys. So all of that stuff started limiting me. And I'm like, okay, so... I hear these stories from all the women in my women architects group. It's happening to me. So I'm thinking like it's a different firm, different name, same firm everywhere. Mm-hmm. So why, why am I going to keep going to all these firms? Just so I can keep changing jobs every two years. Um, but I never thought I could be an entrepreneur. Never thought I could do it. I didn't think I had that in me. So when I got an offer from Thor, it sounded like a perfect match because I was going to lead the architecture division as a as a as as an entrepreneur really a mm-hmm. position, but I had the backbone of a big company with all the benefits, the safety. I had a kid, a young kid, and recently, and then shortly after, I was divorced. So I was like, I need the safety, right? I need the right. safety net. Then Thor started going out of business, and then the conversation was, go get a job or do your own thing. And everybody around me at Thor was like, you're gonna do your own thing, right? Because you can do this, and I, I'm like, I can't, I don't think I can. Short story um, version is I decided to take a chance mainly based on my own, my body, really, my spirit reaction to the idea of going back to that ladder of crazy competition. And I was, I had too many layers above me, right? I'm a woman, I'm black, I'm foreign. So I was like, that's heavy. And I felt that in my soul. Like every time I thought about, I can make a cow get a job in this spot. But that gave me anxiety to a point of like, ache in my stomach. Mm-hmm. When I thought about I can just go and do my own firm, even knowing that I didn't know enough at the time. But you had relationships. I had a relationship. Had with you. I had access, yes. Right. Yes. So I'm like, either now or never, because if I take this chance now, 
and it doesn't work out, I can always go take that job. But if mm-hmm. I take the job now, the relationships start to fade, right? Because now from a position of leadership authority, I had access to decision makers, to client, potential clients. If I go take a job, that's going to die mm-hmm. out. Right. So I'll never can come back. So it's now or never. And I went for it because that peace in my heart really was speaking louder than the anxiety. So I went for it. And the early phases of it uh, financially, was it... Did you make money in the beginning, or does, has it I taken just made some money? Just enough. It was kind of funny because I remember the, the the at the time the CFO of Thor offered to write to help me do a projection sheet, right? So I know how much money I had to make at least to break even or whatever. So when I saw month two of that, I said, "Thank you, I'm gonna go," because I thought I I'm seeing those numbers and they are driving me insanely anxious. So I don't want to know. I just want to go do it. Just do it. So he gave me the template. Look, whenever you're ready do this so i went for it never missed a meal never missed rent so i had just been divorced so now i don't have a home i'm renting i have a kid um, a Mm -hmm. three-year-old kid so i know for a fact that there were (laughs) two or three occasions when i said okay that's it tomorrow when i wake up i'm gonna make a call and get that job and then i wake up to an email from hey i need you in a project if i pay your retainer if i get a retainer tomorrow can you help us and that was rent money there was whatever. I never missed a meal or a rent was paid every month. Um, and that was the first six months. It was hard. So you do a project, you do a good job, yeah, exactly. and then you, the next offer mm-hmm. comes. Yeah. And so now your name is out there. Yeah. And so you keep getting more and more offers for work yeah. as a consultant. And then you start hiring people. Then you right? start hiring people, yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> uh, going back to that uh, seven-year-old uh, child, that, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. do you see some of that in in? today and that oh that's scary but i want it yeah i don't know how i'm gonna get there but i want this thing and i can see it in my future i do i think the why not me is still mm-hmm. with me i remember my dad used to tell me that to go to the university of sao paulo every year is at least 25 to 30 kids that apply for one that gets in in his mind the default was you're gonna be one of the 26 in my mind it was like why can't i be the one mm. And I still have that in my mindset. Like, why not for me? Why is not? Why is it not for me? And it, it might be harder. It might be a little, you know, not so linear road there. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to take that. I'm willing to take that road, the bumpy road, because I believe it can be for me too. But talk about the bumpy road. Uh, the profession architecture has traditionally been male, uh, and also white male really. Mm-hmm. Most architects have been mm-hmm. white men, and mm-hmm. uh, some numbers here, some demographic demographics that we know now are are starting to change but mm-hmm. these are still the numbers a quarter of architects in the united states uh 25% are women mm-hmm. um but it is starting to get better and we look at just like the new and younger archi- architects um last year women were 40% of new architects mm-hmm. so it's getting better and this is uh these are numbers from a national organization that oversees licensing People of color now make up a third of new architects, and that number includes Asian and and, uh, Latino architects, Mm -hmm. and that's growing. But only 2% of architects are black. Mm -hmm. And in 2022, there were almost um, 122,000 licensed architects working Mm -hmm. across the country. Mm -hmm. Only 2%, just under 2,500 identified as black. And Mm -hmm. then when you look at women of those, only 566 are black women. So that's Mm -hmm. under one half of 1% of all architects are black women. What is, what are the, like, what's going on? Why Mm -hmm. is that, like, for little black girls, why is 
that not a feel that is like, oh, I can do that in the way I could be, you know, mm-hmm. a, a teacher or a doctor? Oh, that's a big conversation. I think uh, one of the things is that you you likely won't want to be what you don't see, right? And if the industry is so white male um, heavy, likely you won't see yourself in that position. And then there's mm-hmm. also um, exposure, right? Well, let's think about this. How many times, unless outside of your friends, do you interact with an architect? Well, that's why when I met you, I'm you like, you're an architect? I know. I've never met a black woman architect. Like, <laughs> yes. And how many times, if you think about, take your friends from your list, how many times do you interact with an architect? You don't interact. We come here, we design, we look at the construction, we follow construction, and we go away. People right. use the building, but nobody's interacting with us. Like you interact with attorneys, with teachers, with professors, with engineers, not even engineers, really, but you know of those professions more than you know the person. The person. Right. So if you have a black girl or a black boy, you are, you won't be thinking, hmm, here's this beautiful classroom. I wonder who designed it. Nobody does that, right? Like, you may be thinking of the materials <laughs> yeah, or the nice. construction I like company, how it feels. but it's, not the architect yes. who so envisioned then, it. So it's our right. jobs to be right. more out there. That's why sometimes some people say, why... Um, oh, I'm going to nominate you for this award. I say, oh, don't do that, but whatever. It's like, it's not for you. It's for them. They need to see you up there. They need to see you um, winning awards. They need to see you as a black woman architect because they need to know they can be you. And and for my story, that's so true. If you see someone Mm -hmm. that can can spark a light on you. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to talk more about um, design and architecture and buildings uh, in a moment as we talk with uh, Damaris Hollinsworth, the founder and chief architect uh, of the Minneapolis firm Design by Mello, uh, joining me this hour to talk about her industry and also about her own personal journey. Let's take another phone call. This is a listener in Red Wing. Uh, This is Pete on the phone. Pete, thank you for waiting. And and what do you want to ask or share with us as we talk with an architect? Sure, thanks. Um, Damaris, really inspiring story. I was not uh, aware of you, and I'm looking you up right now. This is just, it's amazing, um, isn't it? It's amazing, and it's exciting because I'm you know, local. And so I wanted to share uh, an, an experience in the context of this fabulous discussion. I was part of a project delivery team that delivered the um, new Fastenal HQ in Winona, and we used a uh, construction design and construction system called Mass Timber, which is essentially uh, engineered wood products that are really large format that are prefabricated and enable us to displace a lot of concrete, the bulk of concrete and steel in commercial buildings for the first time, which is reducing the carbon footprint dramatically. But equally important, it gives us not only a structure, but an exposed timber interior. And one of the topics that has emerged uh, around this is, is this biophilic uh, response that humans have to natural materials. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to harness this and see if it's, you know, is it legit? So I had the opportunity to tour the building and interview the occupants not long after they got their, their, uh, their certificate of occupancy. And it was a really profound couple hours for me because these people who were working in an office were so thrilled to be in there. They were happy. Mm-hmm. They arrive at work early. They what? don't leave for lunch. What? They invite their they invite their friends to come over and hang out and in this cool office and play foosball after work. Mm-hmm. The bosses said attendance are up, uh, ADD is down, and just about anything you can measure, the building was having an effect on on people. And the Europeans who are quite a bit farther ahead of us are also 
documenting this now, and so it's mm-hmm. legitimate. So when I heard today's topic, I just said, so, so, yeah, th- this is real. So Pete, it's about like open spaces and exposed wood. Sounds like it makes a difference is what you're saying. Huge, huge okay. difference. Just mm-hmm. it's, it's, mm. it's, it's, our, it's what we call our biophilic response. It's our mm-hmm. innate uh, tendency to be attracted and be comforted by natural material. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to hear more about this. Thank you, Pete. Pete calling in from Red Wing. Let's talk about this, uh, you know, the materials. Mm-hmm. And what do you hear mm-hmm. and what he's describing? Yeah, is 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 our nature, right? That we cause it causes, and and you think about environments. There are, for like, an example, I always like to use is the hospitals. Remember when the hospitals were oh. white, like every the floors white, Every's, the walls are white, yeah. the lights are white for for whatever white. for yeah. cleanliness or whatever. Yeah. But it's, it's white. It happens to be the most stressful color. The the, the, the it triggers the stress. It stresses the person in the space. That it's too bright. Like science, science, t- yeah. Testing. If you test, yeah. White is stressful. It's stressful. It stresses you because it's too much light. It's, a, it's like a reflection, and it's, a, it's it's that thing about you are in a space. You start feeling a little edgy and just agitated, and you don't know what it is. Right. If you move that person from that white, flooded with light space into a Wood tones, earth tones, wood material exposed to green. Yes, it it's it's and and that happens for real. It just happened to me not that long ago. I mean, this space with too much light was glare. Office too, space, office space. It was beautiful, but too much glass. I couldn't see my screen. I keep crunching, and I'm and I'm realizing I'm getting agitated. And then somebody was being loud outside them at the office. I decided to take my computer and go to a booth, which was on the other side of the building, which was calming light was controlled i re- i literally remember sitting down and feeling my body calm down mm. and i was like oh my gosh i talk about this all the time i did de- i design thinking about this all the time <laughs> i never realized how intense it can be from stress to calmness just by the environment just by the materials you're surrounded by the intensity of light and that is, I literally felt my body calming down right. i immediately went upstairs and said, i need to change offices because i literally felt like I you I cannot something. operate like that every day. But light is good. You just don't want too, too much, much light. light. Exactly. Right? And there is like the whole thing about heat, right? If you are you are in nature, there's trees, there is shadows. We build these boxes of glass. What does glass boxes do? They bring in the light and they hold it in, so it keeps you hot. And it's like all the stuff that you it makes you uncomfortable, and you don't directly associate your state of edginess or agitation right. to. It's, this light is bugging me and I mm-hmm. can't see. So I'm scratching and I'm like, my body's like this and I'm like feeling all this weight. And then it does make a huge difference. That's why people have those green walls. Even if it's not real plant, just having that walls exposure. Mm-hmm. That are, have what, like plants or yeah. leaves mm-hmm. on it. That mm-hmm. it's, it's and the sound of water and the wood, all of this stuff makes you just... Right. And then, then you can it's function earth. and mm-hmm. lean into your purpose. Exactly. Uh, I want to talk more about buildings you've worked on here in the Twin Cities mm-hmm. and other part in other states as well. But first, I want to take a phone call. Uh, we're talking with Twin Cities architect Damaris Hollingsworth. Uh, let's go to uh, Hopkins and talk with Mara. Mara, uh, what do you want to ask or share? Hi, my son is on the autism spectrum, and listening to Damaris talk about the sensory overload of too much light, I was thinking about autism spectrum disorder. My son is very good at math and he's very good at art. And I was wondering about neurodiversity in architecture. What does that mean? What is neurodiversity in architecture? People who have um, like autism spectrum disorder or Mm. obsessive compulsive disorder 
or people who just have different ways of thinking about things. I see. Mm-hmm. Um, so could this I didn't be... want to hijack a conversation about BIPAC, BIPAC no, no, no. architects, but... No, no, no. Um, this, this is people. We all have different skills, but this, could this be a good career choice for uh, for 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 her child, for her son? Mara, I was wondering if you were asking about uh, if we are designing with this with with this in mind, or if we have professionals. If you are focusing would, on increasing the number of professionals that have um, in the spectrum in our in the in the field. I was actually asking about both because okay. I loved what you said about the sensory overload, but I also was wondering. Like I said, he's good at art and he's good mm-hmm, at math, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. but he's not good at making eye contact and mm-hmm. some of those things that might be good for when you're meeting with clients. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that I smile because a lot of architects, most architects are actually very chronic introverts, so most architects don't make eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> you've told, uh, so you've he's told all your group. colleagues. I did. And I am. Uh, always people say, you're so different. You don't look like an architect. Because that's why. Um, I feel like this is the thing. I think... There is this, I can't remember the name now, uh, but there is um, an architect in San Francisco who became blind after an accident, um, after a disease, actually, sorry, and he remained an architect, and he describes how if we design the world for blind people, the world would be better for everybody else, because you're always going to have buffers between traffic and, and, and walking, we're always going to have, you're going to be thinking about things in a way in protecting people, protecting humans, protecting in a way that you don't do, even nature, because you you, you can see, so you are creating all these bu- mm-hmm. buffers. So I can only imagine someone with uh, hypersensitivity to, to textures and and mm-hmm. you just design a space that would suit everybody else. So we always, we, do, we talk about this about within women architects. If, if mothers designed more buildings, our buildings would be better. Uh, we might sound like a little biased there, but because we are thinking about spaces that usually people don't think about. If we're thinking about needs and for kids, for women with children or even men that has little kids, that we we include more. So I must, uh, I'm pretty sure that a person in the spectrum would design buildings mm-hmm. that are suiting to and is really more inclusive of all. Because when you propose a building that is fits the needs of someone in the spectrum, it doesn't exclude the rest. It just makes it better for the rest. And in terms of education, so to be an architect, you need a bachelor's degree and then mm-hmm. a master's degree. Yes. And then more, right? And then, and then some training, yes. Training, you've got yes. to work for someone. Under three years, a uh, number of hours. So we have to report hours uh, of experience. It has to right. be signed by someone re- licensed that you are doing those tasks. And it takes about two to three years to complete all those, ta- those, those hours. And then you can be, while you're doing the hours, you can be taking the exams. Now I think it's six exams. When I took it was seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you take the exams in structural engineering, electrical engineering. You can, we can take, we have to take all kinds of exams because before, think about this, we are kind of the quarterbacks of a team, of a design team. We manage mm. all the other engineers. So we need to know enough of their field to be able to verify and to and to really manage the team. So mm-hmm. we have to take six exams, pass them all, <laughs> study, have all the hours right. logged in and, and signed up by somebody, and then you can call yourself an architect. Uh, let's take a phone call from a listener in Brooklyn Park. Uh, Damaris, this is Carter on the phone. Hi, Carter. What do you want to ask or share with us? First of all, I got to say, girl, you doing that thing. You are doing it. Damaris, when I was right. a little girl, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, when I was a little girl, I went to my teacher and told her I wanted to be an architect. I'm 53, right? And she says, you can be a nurse or you can be a teacher. I was like, I, I want to be an architect. 
She was like, you can be a nurse or you can be a teacher. Mm. So at that time, those limitations were there. Even our own people, mm-hmm. she was a black teacher, was putting out uh, barriers for us not to achieve. So I didn't. I didn't become an architect. I can't even draw a straight line. I think it really messed with my mental. But I am a real estate broker. So I mm. love buildings. And one of my favorite buildings is the International Market Square, where my office okay. is at. Mm. I love the architecture and, and of Minneapolis. it. In Minneapolis. so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. Right it off, used to be the old Munson's building. Right off of Glenwood, just on the yeah. outskirts of downtown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And why do you yes. like that International Market Square? Why do you like it? Because they brought the outside in. Mm-hmm. So it, it used to be a, a ton of buildings, and they attached them all together. Um, so you can still see the brick outside. You see the shadows of light. It's mm-hmm. just a gorgeous building. Mm. All right. Thank you, Carter, in Brooklyn Park. So what do you think about International Market Square? It is very unusual. It, it, it's a beautiful building. I agree. Uh, I think the way they did the the young and, and old together, and the, yes, a lot of light. Um, I It's always going back to that. It's a lot of brick, so mm-hmm. earth. Right, right. We Nature. keep going back to it. it. Keeps calling us, and that is soothing. It's comforting. It grounds us, uh, and I think the whole modern touch to it, but without really, without really hiding the old. I think it's the good mm-hmm. thing about honoring the old, honoring the historical, but then bringing something new and modern that adapts to our lifestyle right now. But that building is gorgeous, and the atrium with all the lights. They have a lot of big events there. Mm-hmm. I've been yep, the fundraisers yep, yep. there, mm-hmm. right? Um, Let's take another phone call from a listener in Minneapolis. Aaron's on the line. Aaron, we're talking with Twin Cities architect Damaris Hollinsworth. What did you want to ask or share? Hi, I uh, I just wanted to share um, some thoughts I had about a space in Minneapolis called TV Plaza. Um, yeah, on Nicollet Mall. A, and yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a user experience designer as well, so I understand completely the idea of inclusion and and uh, like with this field, the idea is. Com- completely about the, the use and how it's perceived, how it's experienced. And so I think a lot about um, how I feel and how I experience spaces in particular. Mm-hmm. And PV Plaza, for me, is one of my favorites. What do you like about it? it um, well, it, it brings in the natural. So it's, 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 a, it's like almost like a, a park in where you have like a waterfall and um, a stream and a pool. But mm-hmm. it's, it's for humans, and it's also architectural in its geometry it's very mm-hmm. um geometric and, and and brutalist it's it uses a lot of raw concrete um, i just love the space and how it is designed for people to come and be there whenever they want to be and, and people, do whatever they want to do there and yeah, it's not people really, eat lunch you know, there yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep it's, it's right not for commerce or mm-hmm. anything it's just you know for people to be there and enjoy the space to chill. It's right next to Orchestra Hall. That yes, might help people. Yes, uh-huh. what, do, what do you think of PV Plaza? And this, I love the Plaza. Cohen Partners, the uh, landscape architects who designed oh. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it has the, there's a the beautiful dance right between um, using our man built man man made things to enhance nature. Mm-hmm. And, and making that combination because now it's comfortable for us to just sit there. If you're even if you're dressed up with high heels. There is an as you often of that. are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's, it's nature is right there. You, it, the water is running through. There is green. There is that play, that dance between nature and the man-made part. I, it is a, it's a composition. It's almost like a sculpture. Mm-hmm. I see that plaza as like a, a full-size Next sculpture. to, you know, street 11th Street. So mm-hmm. you got traffic and you have mm-hmm. buses and you've mm-hmm. got a lot of pedestrians. It, it's like this little oasis. Exactly. You can, in the middle of it. Yep. Uh, one of your favorite buildings in the Twin Cities, uh, I have in my notes here, 
um, that was designed by somebody else, but you like, mm-hmm. is uh, the trailhead at Theodore Worth Park. So yes. what this is the, the main building there at Theodore Worth Park? Is or the, is it the building right at the start of the trail? <laughs> it's the, the building for the activity center. So okay. the trailhead is the wood building designed by HGA Architects. Um, love that building. Why? It's, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna go back to Pete's notes earlier today. The wood, uh, the way it's open, and, and and the the way the angles of the roofs can faces the nature and brings in just enough light. Uh, when we are there in the summer, is sitting in the, sit in the building. There's this big old glass wall that is not facing south, so there's not <laughs> the excess of light. So it's facing this nice beautiful green space we can see the kids running through with the mountain biking right. uh, ex- uh practices and then when you go in the winter in the building has that's where you go to get your skis cold, yes, for cross-country uh-huh. skis like t- yes for the but if you go to the to the back for where you go the tubing side and you can look up and when you're up there before you go down in the tube look at the building the way the sun kisses it at at sunset time. It's just gorgeous. It's almost like a little jewel sitting there. And mm-hmm. the wood color, it just, it just mixes in with the nature. It does not interrupt. And that's the thing. Architecture should not interrupt. Architecture should enhance. It should not prescribe. It should be something that just agrees, right? And that Because then it's not intrusive and opposing and just... I've not thought about it. But this is what you do. I, I want to make sure we talk about um, a project you worked on. Uh, so in Brooklyn Park, mm-hmm. uh, you were called in to help with a, a, a building that was going under construction, a business center. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know a big way, something you value is is listening to clients. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there was a process of getting input from residents and entrepreneurs. Uh, tell us about creating this design of the Brooklyn Park Business Center. So business, uh, the business center in Brooklyn Park was the city of Brooklyn Park purchased this, um, the Northwind uh, Plaza uh, and the 24,000, 20 some thousand square feet space that used to be a gym that was vacated was to be transformed into this small business center. So there was an RFP, a lot of architectural firms competed. We got the project and the first task was really to uh, evaluate a few other options actually and then we ended up with that option. But the, the first thing once we chosen the location was to really hear the community and not a community at large only but specifically communities of entrepreneurs because that was supposed it was planned to be when it's, it's going to be it's opening in a couple of weeks actually oh soon yes uh to focus on entrepreneurs so that's going to be their workspace give them a, yes affordable state of art but affordable spaces so you you, you know it's expensive to rent a space so there the city is working mm-hmm. with partnerships and it's a they are making that space affordable, uh, but is high. They want the city wanted to instead of there. They don't want a raggedy beauty. They want something beautiful, instead inspiring, something mm-hmm. that you are proud to bring your clients. If you are an accountant, an attorney, if you are an architect, if you are, you want to bring people in because you're so proud of it, and you don't want to always go to meeting somewhere else because you don't want people to see where you work. So as you're designing was, it, what did you do? What as so, materials? What did you want it to look a, like? So by the way. Uh, Ashley, who called first today, she's the interior designer in that building. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, amazing, super talented. So what we did was first conversations with the entrepreneurs. The building started off as going to be just kind of a co-working office space. Now it's almost like half, no, it's not half, but third, two thirds. One third is actually retail with mm-hmm. a lot of beauty, with beauty salon, beauty suites and, and other retail and in the offices. And that was part of really community pushing. Like, no, we need retail too. 
We need officers, but in the space. And having like a back and forth, like, I don't think you can. Can we even accommodate with you? Yeah. We will go back and try, like, wow, we can actually. And then we can we make it bigger? Like, let me go see. Do you and have money actually. to make it bigger? <laughs> bigger sounds so more we, we, we end up coming with something. The end result was really a collaboration of needs and, and, reali- and reality of financial operations and everything, right? Because if you're thinking about uh, the operation cost of a beauty salon, a beauty suite is more than because of water, because of damage, because of uh, not damage, but because of maintenance. So we have this balance of things. But it was really co-created. It was a beautiful experience of going from we're doing A and now we're not. We're actually doing B because B is a combination of things that everybody needs. And it's a beautiful, gorgeous space. A creation, input from mm-hmm. everyone, yeah. right? Uh, let's take another phone call uh, in St. Paul. And I have in my notes here, that, uh, this is a teenager. This is Samuel calling in from St. Paul. Hi, Samuel. Hi. So that's right. I am 19. I'm actually... <clears throat> on the road right now, I'm calling in from just outside Moorhead, but I grew up in St. Paul. Okay. And um, so teenagers in the Twin Cities, um, we have a particularly strong culture of urban exploration. Mm-hmm. I think part of this has to do with the unique history of the Twin Cities um, and how a lot of, you know, industry and things like that have accumulated along the river and are now kind of going derelict. Mm-hmm. Um, and that creates some of these actually really quite incredible spaces where they're no longer um, maintained and so they're let, you know, kind of to run wild. And you talked about um, adapting mm-hmm. a historic structure and, you know, respecting that history. I'm curious about your thoughts. Um, you know, how would you approach, um, you know, maybe a ruined structure down by the river mm-hmm. of the sort that we teenagers enjoy so much? Mm-hmm. Great question. Uh, thank you, Samuel. It is a good question, Samuel. Uh, so I'll tell you a little tale. When I was at Thor Construction as the architect, we were um, co-developers of the uh, Upper Harbor Terminal project. The Upper and Harbor Terminal. I remember the first time I walked the site, those big silos, the big white domes that they have there that used to be for, for um, flower. And I spent a lot of time looking at that thing and asking why Why do we have to demolish this? Why can't we figure it out, do a structural analysis, figure out a way of doing something with it? Preserving history? Preserving it and making it a part of a building without put the, completely getting rid of it. Maybe, yeah, we have five of them. You don't have to keep five. but keep one or two. But having a way of composing with it instead of eliminating it. Because, yes, I, those are gorgeous structures and the way they were made and they were still standing after mm-hmm. everything, especially after being abandoned and going through all kinds of weather, right? Symbolic. Still there. Uh, and the resilience, the beauty of it, the, 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 the nerdy kind of beauty of it because this is structurally <laughs> very sturdy and beautifully, beautifully done. But also the meaningful, um, the meaning it has in community. And then, like I'm saying, the, the folks that have been really exploring the area as a way of, of, of adventure. So I, I, I would love if hired to design around one of those <laughs> and like be that. able to really compose with it instead of eliminating it and doing something brand new. Uh, Tomorrow, we just have 30 seconds left. Okay. I want to make sure I mention this, that you are the co-founder of Design Shop, and that's a program that connects high school students of color with mentors in the design field. And so uh, why is that important for you to do? Important because of the whole thing we started with, exposure. When I started this program uh, before the pandemic, um, the goal was to really go to bring kids from schools around the town, mostly black kids, um, BIPOC kids, 
so they can interact with black architects, with myself, a few of mentors, all black architects that we would to hang out with these students, help them create something they designed and then build with them uh, a lamp or something, something they can take home and be proud of. But mostly mm-hmm. the goal was really to get them introduced to architecture, but exposed to black greatness in architects in our industry. Black greatness. You've been listening to a conversation I had in early June with Damaris Hollinsworth, the founder and principal architect of the Minneapolis firm designed by Mello. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom and made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For more reporting in the North Star Journey series, go to nprnews.org and look for the North Star Journey link. Be safe, everyone. Make it a great day. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.